Hey everybody, welcome to the Spodcast. I'm Josh. I am joined by Campster. Hello. And returning from the mystical world of Europe, Alex. Yo. Uh, so, full disclosure here, we don't have an agenda right now. Or, you know, ever. But especially not right now. We just all kind of popped in here and said, like, okay, we need to do this before Alex falls asleep. Because it's, like, 8 p.m. right now on the West Coast, 11 p.m. on the East Coast, and Alex is running on Netherlands time, so uh, I'm just gonna, like, start out where I guess the most logical point to start is, and say, Alex, what was the Netherlands like? Well, I don't want to regale you with all my tales, but um, it was fun. I I met Jareth, which was really cool. Um, yeah. I think I talked oh, cool. his ear off, because I was like, I did it on my own, and he was really the only person I spoke to for more than five minutes for that whole two <laughs> weeks. So I was like, oh my god, a person who speaks English and like also cares about what I have to say. So that was very exciting. Um, but yeah, like the Dutch are nice people. Um, I'm very <laughs> sick of burgers and fries and like deep fried gravy and food vending machines and... Um, I am sick of the rain. It's actually nicer here in Canada and warmer. Um, really, we are more we are more south slightly, but I think we just don't kind we don't have the rainy season that they do, and it's probably because they're more on the coast than I am. And I don't well, know. they live I don't know underwater about weather. anyway. Yeah, that probably makes sense too. But there was literally every day where it was raining at some point. And when you're, like, traveling with a backpack, that's kind of a pain. And, you know, limited supplies. So you went out there for uh, an academic conference or something? Nope, just for fun. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I thought I thought you said it was being paid for, but no, okay, uh, that's cool then. Now those are that's that'll be TwitchCon. That that'll be yeah. my uh, academic expenditure, of course. But no, I was actually planning on going to Korea because I've been there before, so it was going to be like a okay. Now that I know how everything works, now I can like really do some exploring. Um, but then, kind of things got a little bit more heated in North Korea, and I decided it was. Not a good decision to go to <laughs> that part. Um, you know, it's always heated, but it was especially heated. And so I kind of quickly changed my mind and booked a whole bunch of stuff really fast in the Netherlands to have a sort of chill trip there. But I learned a lot. And um, a lot of people were surprised that I was even bothering to travel the Netherlands. People are mostly used to people coming into Amsterdam and then heading off to the rest of Europe, but um, not a lot of people spend time, a lot of time in the country. So people were like surprised, but also, I guess, happy to see someone cared. What country Netherlands secrets did you discover? Um, so this is going to be weird, but the first thing that comes to my mind is that like some people are buried in like, Graves that don't have any markers except for sticks, which really freaked me out. So, like, I was, I ended up in a graveyard at some point during um, a hike, and there were just graves everywhere that had, like, sticks and maybe, like, some rocks and stuff, and I thought that was mad sketch, but, like, it's, like, legit. And that really freaked me out. Like, old I don't graves know if that's or recent Dutch graves? Well, I would I don't actually know because they didn't have any sort of name or date. So I was like, what the hell's going on here? Huh. Well, that's interesting. We'll have to ask uh Jared. Yeah, that would be a Jared like, question. What what's up with that? I, well, and I learned people, about the food vending machine. Cuz that's not a thing I've ever seen before where they just have boxes in the wall. And you put your money in the coin slot, and then you get to open a little box, and it has a little hamburger in it. And you just, you just grab it, and you just take your hamburger. And I didn't actually have a box, box in the wall hamburger, because um, I was already eating a lot of hamburgers as it was. But 
it seemed to be very exciting and popular and this new sort of craze. I don't know if I want a wall hamburger. Like, are they made on the other side of the wall, I would hope? I think so. I think someone's behind the little Dutch hamburger elves. Like a frozen hamburger that gets auto-microwaved or something. Oh, yeah, maybe. I didn't stick around long to find out. Um, The cheese is obviously amazing there. Um, Beers is very good, too. But, again, a lot of the um, beer that you find is Belgian as well. Because, you know, that's their thing. Um, but, but you know, it's like, it's like Europe, too, where it's just, you can find wine everywhere. People are always drinking wine and hanging out on terraces. And the biking system is obviously something people talk a lot about. But it's really intense. And, you know, it's nice to see a society that is able to function that way. And it shows, because I think everyone is just generally in better shape. Yeah, I understand they also have a mass transit system that works. Yeah. Which is something I've never seen before, being an American. (laughs) Well, in Canada, it's the same thing, too. It's just like, yeah, like, I wish I could bike everywhere, but... That's not that's not possible. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like, you know, the the biggest thing that that I find that European visitors to the US have to deal with is like the idea that like yeah, you have to own a car here. You cannot like maybe if you live in a big city like New York or yeah. Boston or something, um you can get I, I around, say- you know, biking or whatever, but like you pretty much like any anywhere else, anything that's even remotely suburban or fuck rural, uh you have to have a car. You, there are no trains, you know, you would like you cannot take a train to my city. Uh it doesn't exist. We have a freight line, that's it, you know. Um if, if and you there's visit a lot like of the US the- that is like that. If you visit like the top five-ish metropolitan areas in in the United States, those probably have decent transportation. Um, yeah. You know, your your Chicago, your Los Angeles, your well, maybe not Los Angeles. Your your Chicago, your uh, your San Francisco, your New York. Los Angeles had a mass transit system, and then lobbying from uh, automobile companies got rid of it. And uh, oh, I mean, now it's now it's. Now it's the uh, tales of the Los Angeles highways that you hear. I mean, there's, there's, let's say three out of five of the biggest metropolitan areas in the United States uh, have really good passable public transit. Um, anywhere else in the States, nothing. Like, my, my local, I live in the capital of this state, and it is, I think, the second most populous city area of the state i want to say charlotte is larger by population um and th- my biggest memory of public transit is being behind one of the local area transit buses and watching as a, a man in a wheelchair uh, at a bus stop was looking forward to his bus and we were behind the bus and the bus just kept driving and didn't stop at his stop and i saw the guy in the wheelchair like flip out and be like what the hell? And and just freak out while we drove past him, and I felt really bad, but I didn't know what we could do because we can't make the bus stop. Like, that is the quality oh, of transit in this country. So, yeah. So, yeah, rent a car or plan on buying Uber or renting Ubers or whatever. Taxis. Your your transit of choice. Well, that's the thing about a lot of Europeans is that, like, like I have a number of European friends who just can't drive and have never like bothered to get licensed to drive and don't own a car and it's like well you know you can't rent a car if you can't drive yeah that would be a big issue but then it's like are you really going to get a driver's license for traveling to the united states yeah exactly. you know what i mean like it just not a thing people would even think of I mean, I have a driver's license, and I don't want to drive in like England because they're on the wrong side of the road. Well, or is it the right side, is, and we're all not, wrong? Most of Europe is, in fact, most of the world is not that. Um, in fact, the, well, the British know, side is England. the wrong side of the road. Yes, right or wrong, it's subjective. All I know is that one of the most funniest things to see 
is in Amsterdam, all the tourists walking on the bike path and have all the Dutch people ring their bells and yell at people. And then <laughs> they get scared because they're looking at their phones or trying to take a picture and then they all laugh at them. Uh, it's very clearly marked. Lane? Like, it's like a lanes red here. pavement. It's very clear where the bikes are. Like, you know, like it. People are so oblivious. They're just walking around in a daze. Goddamn Americans. The, the problem with bike lanes in the United States is that bike lanes are really good, but then in areas without bike lanes, which is the majority of places, bicyclists start being this weird nether entity, which are both vehicles on the road and not vehicles. Like, you have to obey by the bike's rules, and that freaks a lot of people out, makes people angry, and that's where I think a lot of conflict happens. Yeah. Because, like, bikes can weave in and out. Bikes aren't supposed to, but bicyclists weave in and out of traffic. They turn without signaling. Um, they can get up on the sidewalk and do other things that a car really doesn't get to do. It, it gets awkward real fast. That's why I freak out when I have to pass a bicyclist. Because, like, if they if they were constrained to the rules of the road, and it was like having to pass, like, an Amish buggy, where they're just in the center of the road, and I just have to, like, find an opportunity to pass them, that's not a big deal. It's when they're, like, almost on the shoulder, but not quite on the shoulder, but you're supposed to treat them like a vehicle, but they're not a vehicle, and they're wiggling in and out of traffic when you reach a light, but you can't do... like That That freaks me out, and I don't know how to drive around them. Do you have Amish all the way in North Carolina? Do I get what? Uh, no, no, but I grew up in Indiana, so I, I'm, oh, okay. I am used to the Amish. Like, you have to treat bikes as cars... So you legally can't pass two bikes in a row. I don't know what it's like right. in the States, but like... That's no, that's, that's the same and, in the States. Bikes are cars when they're on the road. Even if you're not moving your car you, and the bike hits you, you're, you can be charged. This happened to my brother at a stop, uh, like a stop sign where he wasn't even moving the car and the bike hit him on the side and he was like charged. That I think that's so I get really sketchy about bikes. I think the U.S. laws are more like, yeah, fucking kill those guys. Oh my god. Yeah, well, th that's the uh, that's the other thing is like in the states, it's it, it's it's this weird thing where I mean, I know I've read multiple articles about it happening in New York where bicyclists get hit by cars and run over, and the cops are kind of like, eh, you shouldn't have been in the road, and everyone's like, but that's where bikes go, and it's a big thing in bicycling circles. It's like, um, like I don't know much about it. in Manhattan, you can't ride a bike on a sidewalk. They're too busy. Anyway, did you see anything cool over there, aside from Jaren, who was neat? <laughs> yeah, the first thing I do, I, like, I did actually see other things beside Jaren, but I went to a lot of art galleries, which I think, you know, Ooh. it gets to the point where I think you get overloaded. Um, but I did see a yeah. lot of, like, Van Gogh and um, Rembrandt, not Rembrandt, yes, Rembrandt. Um, and those are like the two major um, like painters in the area. And then um, some Vermeer. So I saw like Girl with the Pearl Earring and that was really surreal and cool. Um, I went to a maritime museum in Rotterdam because that used to be where the like main port of um, Netherlands, um, like the old, old timey Netherlands, like the Dutch sailors and stuff. So that was really cool. Um, Rotterdam's actually a really neat city because it was the one that got blown up in World War II and they rebuilt it. So it's like an interesting mix of like very modern architecture and like old, old school architecture. That's cool. And yeah, it was, I took a bunch of pictures of just buildings because it was so cool. Um, and I made my way all the way down to Maastricht, which is where, um, Belgium and Germany kind of, um, meet Netherlands at like a point. So that was just a crazy cavalcade of cultures and people. And I witnessed like a bunch of German people walking around in Lederhosen and Dirndls for some reason. It's not Oktoberfest yet, but they were just doing it, doing their you gotta thing. You got to have your pre-Oktoberfest celebration. You got to ramp up for all for of October. Yeah, exactly. It's the rehearsal dinner. <laughs> or maybe German people just dress like that all the time and they're fooling all of us. I just, let's not go that far. 
everything I know about the Netherlands I learned from either Jarenth or that Kyle Calgren video about the Rembrandt documentary slash movie about Rembrandt painting a painting. Oh, well, I did do like all the like touristy stuff in Amsterdam too, like the red light district and touring the coffee shops and all that. So that was that was something to see. I I I just um was at in the red light district yesterday. That was when I toured it and yeah, that's something. It's uh Yep. Okay. People are Well, I mean like I like I don't know what to say besides like it's an industry that like, you know, has existed for like ever. Um, but sex like, workers. Wait, are we talking about the stuff, the sex work? Or are we talking about like all the kids that go there for pot? Don't kids go there for pot? Well, pot is not an industry that has existed for forever. So the pot is everywhere. It's not just in the red light district, but the um, I don't know. It's just like people like treat. It's like Vegas, sort of like the Vegas of Europe. Or, like, the New Orleans of Europe, where it's just, like, people just go crazy and, like, they get super drunk or super high and, like, they just act like animals and they bang on the glass and make a scene. And I think, for the most part, people try and stop them from doing that because it's, you know, prostitution's legal there and regulated. But it's just, like, it's it's insane to see people just, like, lose their mind when they just see a pair of boobs. I was under the impression that a lot of countries in Europe had legalized prostitution at s- of some degree. I have no idea. All I know is that, like, the red light district is, like, highly regulated. and um, Obviously, there's nothing else like that specifically, I think, in the world. Yeah. But yeah, coffee shops are interesting. The culture of coffee shops was... Interesting. I was a, you know, fly on the wall for a lot of that, just observing what people did in there and like what like kind of people came in and what the interactions were between people and like the what they call bud tenders. Bud what are those? tenders? They're like the people who give you the weed. Because oh. it's like a bar or a cafe, right? Like you walk in and they there's a menu and you're like, oh, I they want literally a... tender you the buds. I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they give you drinks, too. Or snacks. Did they tender you any buds yourself? Uh, I can't legally say <laughs> yes or no. no can... We cannot confirm it. It's legal here in can't Nevada, it... so I can talk about it. <laughs> no, I, part- I partook in many a coffee shop. Probably, like, seven or eight across the Netherlands. Because it's not just in the Netherlands. That's a... Not just in Amsterdam, I should say. Right. Including one on a boat. Because everything is on a boat in the Netherlands. Well, again, they live underwater. Well, They're yeah, like the Atlantis like, of Europe if Atlantis was a thing that people made after it sunk. It's like the rapture. Only less injecty drugs and more smoky drugs. Yeah, exactly. And significantly less Ayn Rand. A vast quantity less Ayn Rand. Something we can all do with. I feel like if I went to the Netherlands and ended up asking uh, Jarenth about the Dutch East India Company and then he'd end up countering with, like, how are the Articles of Confederation doing? And we'd both just start (laughs) a giant pissing match about history at that point. We did talk about how the Netherlands is not a capitalist hellhole yet, which, you know, you can really tell because shops close at pretty early and like aren't open on like Sundays and Mondays. Just I, I think that might just be partially a Europe thing, because when I went to Sweden, Visby didn't have the same thing. Like shops, most of the town was simply not open on Sundays and aside from one or two sundry shops. And uh, most places closed at like six or seven, but it was also a tiny, small town. And I'm curious as to the size of the places you were visiting, because I was in Visby, which is a very small town in what is kind of rural Sweden. Um, And I don't know if you're like in Amsterdam. Rural Sweden's island, really. (laughs) Well, yes, but it's still rural. Well, I was in several like major cities where things were closed at like 
sometimes eight. And these were like bars and restaurants. So that was a big surprise to me because I'd figure, you know, big city, like even Amsterdam places were, were bars open. Bars were closed at eight? That's... Yeah. Like, were there also like the pubs that were open until 2 a.m. or something like that? There was a select few, but not like a majority of them mm. were closed. Even, like, I remember seeing that one of the most famous coffee shops in Amsterdam, a gray area, closes at 8. And maybe that's just because they can, but I feel like Amsterdam people are going out at night, they want to see the sights and do the things, and, like, you're shit out of luck if you're out past 8 and you want to visit, like, the big one. What do people do after 8 p.m.? I have no idea. Like, I tried not to stay out super late, you know, being by myself. But right. I would assume that people go home and sleep, maybe? <laughs> or troll around the neighborhood? Well, let's see. We've been going for um, 23 minutes, and that is the end of my agenda. So I don't know, any any other thoughts that you can use to fill out the time of this podcast about the Netherlands or Europe or traveling or being stuck in an airport, I guess? Oh, God, being stuck in an airport. Um, I really like how in airports now they have those little iPad things with the games. But there's, like, so many layers to that iPad that it just drove, it drove me insane because it's like an iPad, but it's also, you can use to order from the menu, but then there's also those like free to play, like slot machine games that you can play. But like, you can also sign up for like three or five, like up to five different kinds of currency. And one of those currencies that you can earn, you can redeem for like actual food and stuff. But you have to sign up for, like, three different things. And I just, like, wonder, like, who has the time and patience for that? And also, who does not have their own phone to, like, work off of? It Do seems insane. Do they just have iPads attached to walls at your airports or something? Yeah, I, like, I've or, like, the I've never seen anything tables. like this. Of course, like, when it comes to gambling, we just have slot machines in the airport. So there's that. That's always a fun right. thing to introduce people to Vegas in. It's like, oh, yeah, you can gamble in the airport if you fucking want to. Are We're there people like, that like travel at to the, the airport casino? Uh, you know, They're it's, like, today it's not I'm like, going like, to the airport. It's not like it's a casino that's, like, in an airport. It's, like, just there are slot machines in Alcos, like, all throughout the airport. Like, before security, after security, everywhere. Okay, probably just like a gimmicky thing then, I would assume. Yeah, like, I never understood gambling at slot machines because that seems like the, the the least likely to pay out in your favor ever, so... But there's so many flashy lights. Don't you want to play this game? Yeah, I mean, I have a computer at home. I can play video games. Yeah, but you're not, you know... <laughs> yeah, making, I'm, making I'm not the, dollars. The, the target audience for that. You could be making mad dollars. Um, so this is a good transition. I can transition oh, oh. here. By all means. So I was at a. I don't know if I've talked about this on the on the the podcast, the non spod, the just regular podcast about um the gambling conference I went to. Did I talk about the gambling? Like, con- no, no gambling conference. Was it in Yeah, Vegas? so like, no, I, I wish. I feel like I would have a lot of contempt for a lot of the design folks there, but go on. <laughs> so it was actually not like a design, like they weren't designers. They were um, part of the government for the um, Canadian Partnership for Responsible Gambling. So there were like a lot of like about educating people. And they brought me on because I'm hip with the youth and I knew about video games. And so they're trying to understand video games and its connection to gambling. So they're very much concerned about, like, um, like the stuff happening with the CSGO betting and the skin right. system. And, and like, so and I like explained it. Every free-to-play game ever. 
Well, and I thought that's what they were at, but actually, like, they had no idea about any of those things. Because um, oh, I was man. like, oh, yeah, like, you could play, like, these Gashapon games where you spend money to earn a chance at an item, and that's, like, you know, that is gambling. But, like, that was t- too deep for them. So I had to go basics, and, like, they were at the mindset of, my son plays Call of Duty every day, he's going to go to the casinos when he's older because he's already um, taking up, like, addictive habits. So, like, we had to start from there, basically. Like, like, do people that smoke or drink also, are they inevitably bound to go to casinos because they have addict- they, they take up addictive habits? Like, that's not how it works. It didn't really make much sense to me. Um, so I basically had to say, like, hey, like, that's not really how it works. Oftentimes, like, people are playing games for different kinds of reasons and not necessarily to, you know, make money or feel like they... Well, A, we don't have that kind of money to spend. Like, our generation doesn't really have just, like, all this money to just gamble away like that. But also, (laughs) like, video games are completely different than slot machines. I... I wonder what their picture of a whale is, because, like, the reality of a video game whale is is just somebody who compulsively spends, right? I'm going to drop, you know, $100 on keys, and I'm going to unlock a bunch of crates, and I trade in what I got to get more crates so that I can spend another $100 and get open up all those and trade that stuff for more crates and until I get what I want. Um, and it's sort of like a, a bleed dry at $100 a time. But then I, 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 I'm trying to picture that versus, like, the old school kind of gambling whale, where, like, hi, I'm worth $25 million, and I'm going to come into your casino, and I'm going to wager $500,000 on this blackjack round. Like, is that what they picture whales being? Like, some sort of, like, guy in a cow, 10-gallon cowboy hat and boots who got <laughs> rich on an oil rig coming in to bet a ridiculous amount of money? Or Was I don't that know, ever weird. a real thing? I don't like, think it was ever a real, real thing, but like, like I think it I'm was. Sure, I'm sure someone's done it. But like, sure. it, it, even in you, you live in Vegas, even in Vegas, like the real Vegas, whales in Vegas are multi-millionaire, multi-millionaires that come in and play at like the you know twenty-five thousand dollar a seat tables, where the minimum bet is something like twenty-five or fifty grand. Um, but in in mobile games, that's not what a whale is. A whale is just someone who regularly spends and spends a lot and right. spends often. Um, so you're not talking about someone who's dumping 50 grand on your game a turn. You're talking about someone who drops 100 bucks every week, which is still a ridiculous amount of money for digital items that have no real worth. But that's what a whale is in a in a world where your average app price is 99 cents. Yeah, and for the many people, I think that's like a hard line that's drawn of spending versus not spending at all. Like, I think people are very cautious about yeah. like, oh, is this a game I'm going to invest in? Is this the, a game I'm going to put any money into at all? Yeah, I think market research has uh, it like backs up that opinion. Like, like vast majority of people never spend a dime on you know a particular free to play video game or whatever but you know you got like like five maybe ten percent of people that like spend and they spend a lot uh that's your whales and that's what you kind of like orient your entire cash shop towards it's weird because i i think there's three tiers there's the tiers that never spend anything there's the tiers that'll spend like i'll buy one pack and see what it's worth and then it's nothing and they're like all right i'm done i i Spent my five bucks. And then there's the people that get hooked on whatever system you have for whatever reason and just keep spending. Um, and so that's what I'm always been, I'm always interested in, in when it comes to digital games is like, what is the hook? What is the angle they're trying to sell to you to make you become a whale? Like, um, well, I'll, I'll defer to Alex and let her keep talking. Sorry, I don't want to. No, I definitely jump in. Um so, like, obviously we never got into that discussion because also people were at, like, there was a major question and answer period where people were asking me questions like, but don't you get any fulfillment for um, going outside, basically? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I wish I was like, um, but like, also, that wasn't really the context of the question, but that was basically like what they were getting at. Um, but also, like, they connected it a lot to, like, people are addicted to, like, 
the social connectivity of games. And so, like, they were basically like, well, like, are they real friends? Like, that's also the kind of, like, conversation we were having. Oh, like, my we parents. Having. Well, or, like, more like, oh, like, how can you be friends with people online? And yeah. is that connected to, like, the addictive nature of gambling? And, like, I'm doing, like, air quotes, obviously. Um, and then they were also very interested in, like, um, activism in game worlds, which was, like, the most bizarre thing I've ever heard, where someone was like, yeah, we're working on this, like, um, responsible gambling campaign, and we're going to go into Second Life and start talking to people in the game about responsible gambling. <laughs> And I was like, please do not do that. I'm pretty sure they've like, heard they all were your very arguments serious there about before. That. Yeah, does Second Life even have microtransactions? Can't you buy Linden? Uh, yeah, you buy Linden dollars. And you could also buy server space and land, yeah. Come on, Josh. Could, give it the time. Like, a dec- I, you could a decade ago a- when I last played Second Life. I literally have not played, like, paid attention to Second Life in, like, 15 years. Like, it's always been this, like, the weird, I don't even want to say MMO, the weird multiplayer game that's, like, been off in the shadows of, like, oh, I theoretically have heard of people who have played it. Well, and, yeah, like, it didn't entirely connect to gambling, per se, as being, like, a hotbed for that kind of activity, but I think they were just, like, opening up, like, an old textbook from, like, 2000 and were like, what's the game that people are talking about? Oh, Second Life? Lots of people play it? Let's go into that one. Oh, and World of Warcraft. And let's just, like, get the gamers in their natural habitat. And it's like, yeah, I don't think anyone <laughs> would stop and talk to you. It's it just goes to show you like how out of touch like at least the government people I were talking to with were. Um, it's great to see that they learned a lot and that they were trying to learn, but like, um, it's there's still such a disconnect with the majority of these people and like the video game folk that we are. Yeah, I guess it's a reminder that, you know, there are just, like, those people who do not play video games. And, you know, like, that's something that, that like, more recently has become, like, harder to conceive of because you've got, you know, everybody has an iPhone or an Android phone. or You've got a smartphone for the most part. You know, like, my grandparents don't, I guess. You know, really old people probably don't have those in as, as great numbers. But, you know, like, pretty much everybody has a smartphone at this point and mobile gaming is pretty accessible and if you do any kind of mobile gaming for any period of time you know longer than a few minutes you run into stuff like the free-to-play market and the way that you know oh you in-app purchases and and that whole kit and caboodle of of weirdness and like you'd expect that like people who are whose job it is to understand this stuff would be aware of that in some fashion. Well, and I often, like, when I'm talking to, like, regular people, not regular people, but just, like, the average Joe who's, like, questioning about video games is, you know, like, everybody is pl- plays games. Like, everyone is a gamer, I say. Like, it's right. not this sort of, like, weird demographic. It's just, like, inherent to our culture that everyone plays games. That's just what we do. And that normalizes it for a lot of people and sort of like gets them thinking about it. But it's, you'd be surprised how many times people like sit down and think like, Oh yeah. Like chess is a game or like a crossword or something like that. Oh man. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's kind of surprising that people are still like that, but yeah. And then you get like, Paideic daydreaming is a sort of play, and then people freak out. They're like, "What?" But yeah, that was an interesting, an interesting event. I tied it. I tied it to get to games, video games on our our podcast. Yes, you did a good job there. Unfortunately, we are now out of video games entirely. No, we're not. Who said no, we're, we're out not. of video games? I got like four games here I've been playing. 
Oh, good. Which then four you games can, have you been playing? Fill out the podcast. I, I wrote down uh, Mario and Rabbids, Death of the Outsider, Destiny 2, and HHN Hype, because I'm going next weekend, and I know you guys don't want to hear about Halloween stuff yet, so Mario and Rabbids, Death of the Outsider, Destiny 2, or in a Halloween. pinch prey. Well, I, I meant more the audience. It's It's early in the Halloween season, although pumpkins are at my grocery store now, and I keep tweeting pictures of skeletons, so... I don't know. What's HHN? Halloween, Halloween Horror Nights. That thing me, I'm going to next weekend, and Rutzgarn is going to sometime in October, but on California. In California. I'm still confused. What is this? So it's... Universal Studios every Halloween has a big spooky event where they set up a bunch of haunted houses, and they have you go through and get scared. Oh, yes, I've heard of this. I have yet to experience it, mostly because... It's far. But it seems like they go, like, really all out. Last year, Rutskarn went to uh, his first Halloween Horror Nights and almost got thrown out for looking too young to be there, so. (laughs) How old do you have to be to get in? I think it's like 18. There's no age limit. No, there's no hard age limit. It's, uh, I I think Rutskarn was tricking you. Um, You can be any age, but (laughs) they generally advise you be over, like, 13, just because kids tend to not respond well to monsters jumping out of the I think they made a movie about that. I will say, this year, having I, I have not spoiled myself on any of the houses in Florida, but I watched the run-through of The Shining and the um, the Ash vs. Evil Dead house in California. Um, in California, they decided to use latex masks to emulate both Bruce Campbell and um, Jack Nicholson for the respective properties. And it doesn't look that super great. That sounds weird. That to have a guy good. with like a... Well... Also, it's California, so I think they're acutely aware of, like, likeness issues. So, they're, like, not oh. even Jack Nicholson and Bruce Campbell masks. They're, like, <laughs> likeness avoiding but still capturing the essence of the character masks. <laughs> oh, and... no. Using a mask at all if you can't use the fucking likeness of Bruce Campbell and Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I kind looks... of have to look this up now. I I can send images. It looks really bad. It looks yes, please. It looks it looks pretty bad. Um, hold on. And I realized you just said we weren't going to go here, but I am generally very fascinated by this whole thing. Can I look? A, can I link a Facebook? I guess I can. I said a, link a Facebook. Audio and that's... format. I just want to remind you. All right, well, I just want to hear her reaction. We can cut this part out. Hold on. All right, there. There's the Jack Nicholson masks. I don't have any of the Bruce Campbell on me. Am I going to be actually scared? No, not even a little bit. It's a Facebook post to, to, to my oh, Facebook post. Oh, it's Jack Black. <laughs> it looks like Jack Black, like but very haggard and old. So, yeah, it doesn't look super great. Um, so, I, I, I wish Rutzkarn the best of luck. I hear that Florida doesn't have any of these latex masks. An effort was made. Anyway, um, I've also been playing Destiny 2, uh, or Mario vs. Rabbids, or Death of the Outsider. What do we want to hear about? Well, I'm going to pick Death of the Outsider up um, later this week. Uh, I'm in the middle of, like credit card billing period rollovers and paychecks and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I'll pick it up in a couple of days. Um, how has Mario Rabbids been? I've been meaning to pick that up and just never got around to it. Uh, do you like XCOM? Kinda. Do you like Mario? Uh, yeah. Do you like emergent play where maybe it feels like there shouldn't be emergent play? That sounds interesting. Then you should pick up Mario and Rabbids, the game about shooting dudes as Mario. I still can't believe this game exists, frankly. Like, what the fuck is this thing where Ubisoft takes their boring weird rabbit franchise meshes it with Mario, like gets Nintendo's permission and sign off to mesh it with a Mario, with the Mario universe and make a video game that is literally just a ripoff of 
XCOM and 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 this exists. Like what? It's how do I phrase this? It's not one hundred percent XCOM. Like everyone freaked out when they saw the Overwatch uh, ability. The only person who has that ability is Mario. So each character has their own ability and their own preferences. And so it's not quite XCOM-y. And also things like distance don't change anything. So it's also not like XCOM in in that regard. It's not like you're ever going to get like 73% chance to hit. It's either 100% chance to hit because you flanked somebody, 50% chance to hit because they're behind partial cover, or 0% chance to hit. And that's it. So it, it is a big simplification over XCOM. That said, it is basically XCOM. And I don't know how they convinced Nintendo to build this game. Well, and you can't permadeath Mario, I assume. You can't permadeath anyone, actually. Um, So here's one of the interesting things. They don't have permadeath. um, But they wanted to carry forward this idea of consequence to a degree. So in each world, there's like... You know, it's like Mario, right? Each It's like World 1, World 2, World 3, World 4. And each world's battles are listed as like World 1-1, one, one, World 1-2, one, World 1-3. So each battle is like a level in Mario. Um, but health carries over between levels. So if you screw up and Mario takes a beating in level 1-2, he will not have great health for level 1-3. So that's kind of one of the things that makes it interesting. And it's not like there's an inventory system that lets you just, like, buy health kits. Um, occasionally, between levels, there will be a, um, a red mushroom that lets you heal all your guys a, a certain amount. But there is no way to, like, get everybody up to 100 without restarting the entire, the entire world. Um, and that's both... That's where the game's harshness feels like it comes into into being. Like the the real XCOMI bit of it is carrying health forward between rounds. Does that make sense? Yep. What happens when somebody is completely knocked out in a round? Do they get like revived with the lowest health or Yeah, I think it's like five or ten health that they start the next round with, which is like if they get if they get tapped at all, they're down. So it is like in a way like a semi permanent death where these people are pretty much useless for the next round until yeah. you finally get stuff to heal them. Yeah, you get fully rehealed at the end of each world and you get full and you get healed if you can find mushrooms, but not all mushrooms are easy to find. You might have to do stuff in like so the game sets itself up as like when it goes to XCOM mode, it's XCOM. But then when it's not in XCOM mode, you're not in a different level. Like, if you fight a bunch of dudes and you shoot a bunch of blocks and a bunch of coins come out, but then you finish level and you win, you can walk back over to where you drop those coins and pick those coins up in the open world. So there's like an open world, but the huh. the turn-based gameplay takes place within so, it. So it's almost more like... Um... Like uh, like a third person like turn based RPG where like you you go into encounters and end up in the turn based like XCOM stuff and then you explore the rest of the world without it. A la, it's, like, it's pretty linear RPG. Yeah, it's pretty linear. It's not like it, I, I said open world, and that's probably a bit of a stretch. Each world is pretty linear, but there are the secrets overworld. to find, and that's how you yeah the overworld, and that's how you get your mar- mushrooms to heal your guys, and that's how you find secrets to unlock like bonus moves and unlock weapon plans. And that's the other thing you have to spend the Mario coins you get on fancier guns and things like that. Again, it, there's no base building, but it does capture like the barest bone sense of XCOM. Because, like, you have to worry about, like, do I want to invest the 150 coins I have in making Mario a better fighter, or do I want to make the heal character heal better? Hmm. And you have to, like, sit down and think about, like, how you want to apply a limited set of resources. It's, it's, it is not as deep or interesting or complicated or as squishy as XCOM 2, but it captures a lot of what makes XCOM 2 good, except for the actual character building because they're all Mario prefabs and you can't so it's, change the character. It's basically XCOM as applied to a turn-based RPG. Yeah, think of it as Super Paper Mario XCOM. And that's basically See, that still sounds really cool. Um on the whole it is really cool. I I like having a see, so here's my problem. 
Um, I really like having a portable XCOM, and that's really neat. But I also have Disgaea 5 on my Switch. And if I want, like, turn-based combat, I'd rather go with the number-crunchy, level-up, grindy game than the tactical dice roll, oh, the numbers didn't come up in your favor, up, you, you're screwed, you lose game. Um, and that, that kind of sucks. The other thing that pushes me away from Mario uh, and Rabbids is, like I said earlier, the weird emergent play. So, like, there are elements here that are aimed to be emergent play, and I... It's weird. That's something XCOM does not have, is this stuff. Um, like, for example, the Rabid Luigi, half the characters are Rabid's, Rabid versions of uh, Mario characters. Rabid Luigi is kind of a spellcaster. His guns focus on dealing elemental damage. And you can set him up with a fire gun that, that has like a 30, 40, whatever, 50, depending on how good of the gun it is, a chance of lighting bad guys on fire. And so what I end up doing is like running him up to the corner right next to him. So imagine a, um, a, a, a I don't know, a pillar or something, a square bit of cover where um, a bad guy is on the north side of the cover and my uh, rabid Luigi comes up on like the east side, so next to him. And so he's got a good shot, a uh, 100% chance at flanking him and firing. When he flanks him and fires... And if and causes fire damage such that it burns that rab uh, that monster rabid they're all rabbits um, the rabid freaks out and starts being on fire and running around and there's a possibility if that rabid who is on fire bumps into other rabbits it will set them on fire but there's also a possibility that he will bump into your guys and set them on fire and if you're at the east corner of somebody who's on the north side of that face, if he marches towards you, it is very likely he will set you on fire. So I have had multiple occasions where my rabid Luigi has died because he has fired a fire bolt at a rabid, set him on fire, and that fire rabid comes at him and burns him, and they both are now running around on fire. <laughs> and it's like, it's a cool emergent play moment, but it's also like, god damn it, game. Um... So stuff like that. Also, like Mario's Overwatch is interesting. Mario's Overwatch is an emergent play generator because he will strike any entity that is moving that is an enemy. So like what ends up happening for a cool combo is um, so one of the other gun modifiers, the, the, uh, elemental guns, is push. So there's like a 25% chance to like push an enemy away and have them roll physically away. Um, so on your turn, you can have like the peach enemy with a or peach rabid peach um, move towards a bad guy, fire her gun, and uh, if the if the push weapon triggers, the bad guy will start rolling, and Mario in Overwatch will go, oh shit, it's a bad guy that's moving, and start firing. But that kind of <laughs> sucks. That's cool because it deals multiple damage per turn, and it basically means Mario gets to shoot twice per one turn. But if you're not planning on that, it sucks because you wanted Mario to be Overwatch for other right, guys that you knew were going to be coming. He uses his Overwatch up after one shot, and then he doesn't do anything right. for the rest of the enemy turn. Exactly. So so there's, like, emergent play like that where it's, like, it's on one hand, it's really cool that a Mario game has some sort of emergent play. On the other hand, it's, like, kind of frustrating because most of the time it comes back to bite you in the ass rather than being a cool thing that kills the bad guys. Um, so, eh. I, I like it. It's neat. It's interesting. How, um, like, do you, would you recommend this game for kids? Like, is this something that they could pick up and play? Or is this more like the teen? It's more teen. It is, it is, it is, the mechanics are pretty straightforward. Um, but it is, it is not messing around with the difficulty. Like, the very easy challenge mode, I can't beat because I don't have the right characters and it doesn't tell me that. Oh, that's good. Oh, so that's one other thing I want to bring up uh, before we move on. Um, uh, the other thing that I really like about this game that XCOM doesn't have is the movement mechanics as damage dealing mechanics. So basically, like, you get to... Um, XCOM has a thing where every character gets two actions. And you can either move and then have one spare action, like shoot or reload. Or you can move really far and then have that count as both actions. Um, in Mario and Rabbids... Movement is just something everyone gets, no matter what. And while you're moving, 
you can tap one or depending on the character you, you have in your team, multiple characters to slide and do damage as part of your movement. So you can literally like, if there's a rabid near you, move, knee him in the crotch and then move back to where you just were and then shoot. So movement, <laughs> movement counts as an attack, even if you don't end up moving physically any direction. So you could like start from where you are, move over there, kick him in the crotch and move back. And that counts as damage. And you, you've count, you've completed your move phase, but you haven't done your action of attack. So that's cool. Um, also cool is the team-up double jump thing, where if you reach a friend, they can launch you. And if they launch you, this is good for reaching further distances, but you can also do the Mario thing of stomping on bad guys. So you could, you know, launch to your friend and then stomp on a guy, and then roll out of that, go behind cover, and then shoot them. So it opens up a lot of strategic possibilities. There's a lot of interesting movement stuff going on. Um, and there's warp tunnels and other things that make movement interesting. So basically, it's like XCOM, but highly, highly remixed and a little bit more accessible, but still very difficult. I would recommend it for teens, not for kids. Not because it's violent, but because it's it's genuinely pretty hard. That was definitely something I was curious about, because I, I know, like, Mario and, like, difficult, like, you know, level curves are just not, like, a thing that I think about a lot, and... I just, I wonder about well, what, like, what that game was marketed to. Oh, well, uh, yeah. It feels teen-ish. Um, it, it's not, it is not hard. Like, I've never reached, I'm, I'm only like about halfway through it, but I, I've yet to reach a level where I'm like, okay, F this, this is impossible. Um, but I've also, like, like I said, that challenge level, I need to unlock some more characters before I can beat it, and it's listed as very easy, and that's like, ugh. So... It's 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 teen level, maybe preteen. I, I feel like a six or seven or eight year old can beat most Mario platformers. I don't think a six or seven or eight year old could beat this. Well, that sounds cool. Um, we got a couple more minutes. Do we want to go into another Campster game? Uh, or sure. We've got Unless a couple of got emails, a mailbag, but like I don't. I don't know how much we'll have to say about any of these questions. Are they erotic? No. <laughs> Decidedly not, actually. Have you ever gotten an erotic question? Probably. We haven't asked. Um, It's that or Destiny 2. That's the only other game on my list. Or I could talk about Death of the Outsider, but you don't want spoilers. But I don't really have any spoilers to give, but... So, you can either give me, nor can I ask for anything involving Death of the Outsider. I'm just saying Death of the Outsider is really good. That's all I'm saying. Uh, all right, let's go into mailbag. Let's ask one of these questions. Um, okay, I, I, I got two. Questions. I got two subjects here, and you guys can, can tell me which one you want to. You want me to read. Uh, Fantastical Races or Best Game Adaptation? I have a lot to say about both. More adaptation, because, like, that was something I worked with a lot. And you will like my answer. Uh, Are are you sure? This question may not be what you think. Uh Uh-oh. All right, here we go. I'll take the risk. Dear Spodcast, what's your favorite adaptation of a video game to another medium? This includes oh. anything from the Super Mario World Choose Your Own Adventure books or the Persona 4 anime to the Assassin's Creed movie and the Castlevania Netflix original series. Was there a Castlevania Netflix original series? Yeah, just yeah it was an anime. For the sake of argument, works based on video games in general are fine, like Scott Pilgrim, High Score Girl, or the Gamers anime. Love, Christopher. God, I hate Scott Pilgrim. Really? <laughs> oh... The movie, not it's the. It's the, the only the thing we have. Leave us alone, us Canadian nerds. No, the comic is good. It's it's the movie. I I don't like the framing of the film. I want to ask, but then we wouldn't be answering the question, so maybe we'll save that. But All right, um, so that definitely your... wasn't the question I had. Uh, in I, I had a feeling. Um, so now I have to think for a minute. I mean, I know my favorite game adaptation, but video game is harder. 
It's been a while since I've seen them, but I remember really enjoying a lot of the Street Fighter anime movies. But that could also be because it was a long time ago. I have this weird soft spot in my heart for The Wizard. It's a it's a really bad film, but it's still kind of great. The, the Rift Tracks makes it enjoyable. Um, it has the power also, glove in also, it. For for the second time tonight, it visits Universal Studios, and I like that. Um, it it uh, has a bootleg copy of Super Mario Brothers three that never existed. That looks like Super Mario Brothers two. I mean, if we're going game to to other adaptation, I really like the film Clue. Oh yes, Clue is interesting because that I really film. Like- that film has three different endings, and different different theaters got different endings. Like in there, the you know the reel that they got had a different ending on it from other theaters. Right, but the home video cut, including the cut you get like on I, uh, yeah. iTunes or whatever, is the the combined all cut. One of those endings makes no fucking sense at all. I think it's the official ending. Is the official ending the one where um, Miss What's-Her-Face was the murderer? Because that one made no sense. No, that's not the official ending. The official ending, I think, is is that uh, Tim Curry is the his body or whatever. Tim Curry is his body. No, <laughs> Tim Curry's the one that did the murder. You, you know what I mean. Oh, okay. I mean, Tim Curry is basically a murderer, so... Trying to think of other good video game adaptations that didn't suck to other media. Like I like ones in campy ways. I like the Doom novels as like terrible pulp sci-fi commercial crap pulp. But I was curious about the Halo novels too, because like I hear people have said like they're good, but they're also people I don't trust. Like in opinions about any sort of text-based media, so I don't know. But they're a thing. Um, when I was writing anime reviews for The Escapist, I reviewed the Devil May Cry uh, anime adaptation. Um, Ooh. But I I had never played a Devil May Cry game, so I reviewed it from the perspective of someone who had no idea what was going on. And it was not a good anime for someone like that. Uh, it was just bad. Uh, like, like characters would just show up in there and be like, yeah, it's that character. And I'm like, I have no idea who that character is. And it's like, okay, we won't tell you. There's a lot of comics that are based off of games. Again, Street Fighter. Uh, I'm just going off of my Street Fighter knowledge because I feel like that's a series that has basically done everything. I mean, if you put a gun to my head and you had me had to have me say my favorite video game produced thing that is not a video game of all time i really like the original mortal kombat movie unironically oh totally it's pretty great like not necessarily as a literary work but what's weird is that really is the story like you you really don't recognize how much that that is the story of Mortal Kombat until you reach like later generations of like playing Mortal Kombat Nine or X and being like, oh wow, yeah, literally that is the story that that is what happened. Because when you play Mortal Kombat One and Two, it's sort of like inferred or maybe slightly referenced in some of the flavor text when selecting a character, but none of it is like like you don't actually get a linear narrative the way you do in that film. And that film basically became canon to the point now where yeah, I believe I, Kano actually is Australian. I wonder if that's like a reverse influence thing where like they had the games with this like plot that's kind of hinted at in like flavor text and stuff. But like maybe they didn't really know what was going on either. Who cares? It's a fighting game. And then they did the movie. And then like later on when they wanted to go into like, hey, let's actually have a plot for this. They just like lifted everything from the movie You know what's also not awful, but not necessarily good? Um, the Silent Hill film, the original? Yeah, I'm actually not... There was a Silent I, like, Hill it's film? an alright film. There were two. There's two of them. Oh, God. The first one's the first filmed one's in a bad. city near me. I like the reversal. 
I like the reversal they do with it where they have like the mother um being like the person that looks for the daughter as opposed to I guess it's most based on Silent Hill 1. Either way, uh it, you know, the 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 reverse gender thing is interesting because um like dads are kind of obviously dominant in like games right now but like it would be yeah, cool to see dads. like a game sad dads but like it had a sad mom in it and it carried a theme at least throughout that was kind of worked what about audio adaptations are we allowed to talk about audio adaptations sure we're allowed not. to talk about whatever we want um i'm going to regret saying this but like that song that says that Stephen Hawking is a quake master, I kind of love that song. No one has any idea what I'm talking about. It would be helpful if you had the title of the song and maybe the artists. Here, MC Hawking, Quake Master. I just linked it. It is literally MC Hawking. Yeah, Haw- okay, so we we are an audio medium. Yes. I probably can't put that in the podcast. No, though. I know. I'm just saying. Like, it's a song... By Stephen Hawking's voice modulator about how Stephen Hawking is awesome at Quake and will beat you. That's all I'm saying. I like that adaptation that of Quake 3 good. to a song. Has any of us seen the Super Mario Brothers movie? Yeah, of course. I haven't. It was filmed near me. Are you in the movie? No. It wasn't filmed near me when I was alive during the filming. It was filmed near me where I am now. Oh, I did watch the Castlevania miniseries. I thought it was... It, it's worth a watch. It's only four episodes. Um, it, sh- it, like, starts out the gate pretty well, and then episode two and three and, like, most of four is just this drag. Is it but anime it's or also, live action? It's anime. Like, the you will want to watch the Castlevania series if you want to see, like, super gory, like, action scenes. Because you have Simon that just whip people's heads off and stuff, and it's, like, really cool. Demons killing babies and whatnot. Yeah, I can't really think of any other, like... I've heard really bad things about the Mass Effect novels. I've heard really bad things about the Star Wars The Old Republic novels. Um, but I haven't I, read any of them. That might not count. The... Halo 3 commercials that try to bring the Halo 3 world to reality. Is that an adaptation, technically? If we can talk about advertising campaigns, we could talk about the worst game advertising campaigns. I'm just saying, I really like the way that, like, the Halo 3 marketing campaign for a game that was that stupid was profoundly... It it laid the groundwork for Destiny, I'll say that much. It, in in terms of self-important <laughs> uh tone-based marketing, um did, it was it was very Did you see anything from the Guild Wars 2 marketing campaign at all? Uh probably some sidebar. Well, first ads off, on they the they had a truck that drove around Seattle while I was at PAX in 2010 um, that just had Guild Wars 2 emblazoned on the side of it, but they had um, quite possibly the worst video game trailer I've ever seen. Uh, several of them, actually. Um, which was this, like, weird live-action like, urban rebel thing with, like, people running around, like, abandoned streets and doing graffiti for Guild Wars 2 and talking about, like, how, like, we've been crying out for a, a, a video game that's for us. And then it, like, transitions <laughs> into Guild Wars 2 in-game, like, footage at the end. And it's just, like, the worst thing ever. I will I will link this in the show notes somewhere. Uh, this This horrible trailer... Bringing it back to Guild Wars 2. Yeah, I've been playing that. Um, It's been... I don't really have a lot more to say about it. Um, Jareth told me I need to play with you guys. Yeah, you do. Um, He's like, bye, Alex. Keep in touch. Play Guild Wars 2. 
we will pro I think there are like th- three person fractal dungeons. So if we had you, we could do those. Um, I, I'm, I'm finally almost finished with the, the base game story, which like starts out being this thing that you really should have more of. And then like you get to, you, you finally get to level 80 and there's like 20 fucking story missions after that. And it's like, holy shit, why won't this thing end? Uh, so that's that's weird. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for the question, Christopher. If anybody other than Christopher would like to send questions to us, because like literally the last five questions I've got in the inbox right now are from Christopher, uh, then you can send uh, a question to uh, show at gmail.com and we will maybe answer it. Uh and we'll accept, Maybe you know, whatever fucking question. question you want. Send erotic questions, yes. But not too erotic. PG erotic. Send questions about hot men's and video games. You can say hot men's and you can say boobs, but no swears. This this is a very clean podcast. We don't have swears here. Exactly. No cussing. Uh, anyway... I think that's the end of this podcast. I I guess we went in without an agenda and now that we've finished it I don't know what I think we learned was. something today. I don't think anything developed. We learned about the Netherlands and we learned about um Mario's rabbit friends and we learned about how video games don't make good movies. And we learned about how you should send us erotic questions, but not with swears. And bike safety. Also, we learned about bike safety. Wear your helmets, kids. I don't know if we learned so much about bike safety as we learned about the aftermath of what happens when bike safety goes wrong in Canada versus the United States with regards to the courts. Don't ride your bike in America, kids. Yeah. Stay in your protective domes. 